is our prayer today, that God would use us to be the light to the vulnerable among us and around the world. It is a joy to be here with you today. Uh, I get the opportunity to travel a good bit and preach in a lot of different places, but I can tell you without hesitation today that there's no place like home, and uh, it is good to be home today. It's good to be together with my home church, with a home family, and uh, such an honor and such a privilege to be able to, to stand here and, uh, and share God's Word and preach today. Um, if you are a guest today at Valleydale, I want to encourage you and really plead with you, come back. Uh, come back and hear our pastor, Dr. Mac Brunson. Um, we are so blessed here at Valleydale to have a man of God who faithfully, week in and week out, week out preaches God's Word um, in a way that is clear, in a way that is convicting, in a way that uh, comes to life, and God uses it to, to permeate our hearts and to change us for His honor and glory. And so uh, we are a blessed people here at Valleydale. And so again, if you're a guest, please come back and, uh, and meet Pastor Mac. But it is a joy to be able to, uh, to stand today and to be able to share uh, God's Word with you. Um, it is uh, also a joy to be here representing Lifeline Children's Services, as Kirkwood mentioned earlier. Um, that's actually what brought us to Birmingham after serving in about 24 years in pastoral ministry and being a part of a couple church plants and leading a couple churches. Um, God then for a short season had my wife and I working in a government role, uh, serving as an advisor to a governor on child welfare issues and engaging the community and faith community specifically uh, in these things. And then the Lord opened the door for me to join the team at Lifeline, uh, which our home office is here in Birmingham. And so that's what brought us here uh, and brought us to Valleydale. And man, we thank God every day for it. Uh, we are so grateful for this church family. We love being a part of the faith family here at Valleydale and being a part of you all and doing life together. Um, but grateful for Lifeline on, on your way out today. There's a booth to the left uh, about Lifeline Children's Services. And there's a lot of information. There'll be some folks there at the table uh, to answer any questions you may have about Lifeline. We'll talk about a little bit some of the practical things afterwards. Lifeline's heart and goal and desire uh, is to come alongside local churches like Valleydale here in America, as well as around the world, uh, to equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to vulnerable children. Uh, we help love helping the church engage in ministry gospel ministry to vulnerable children, vulnerable women, uh, and then broken families as well. And so I'd love to be able to share a little bit more about that with you uh, this morning or at any other time that would be appropriate for you. Also, for those of you that don't know me and my family, I want to tell you a little bit just so you kind of understand my heart around the issue that we're discussing today. Uh, when pastor called me, he said, he said, Chris, you can preach on whatever you want to preach on. I don't put limits on whatever, whatever you feel God calling you to preach. Uh, but I think it'd be kind of cool with the Orphan Sunday idea that if you did something and, and so so um, really just want to share a little bit about kind of my heart and why this matters to me. Uh, we, my wife and I, we were in central Florida, right outside of Orlando. I was, uh, the Lord called us to plant a church there that I was leading for a number of years. And during that time, God uh, spoke to our hearts and called us to engage in foster care ministry. Uh, and so here's a picture kind of, of what we say is part of our family picture here. This kind of tells the story of our foster care journey. Uh, the pictures that you see, they're all mixed together, represent uh, more than 40 children that came through our home over those 10 years or so. Uh, you'll also see there uh, everything from babies to kids in school to uh, kids that have aged out of the foster care system that continue to come back and, and be a part of our family. Um, you'll see birth parents of children in foster care. One of our favorite things was to be able to meet the birth parents of kids we cared for and to be able to share the gospel with them. We saw several of them come to know the Lord and even be baptized and join our church family. Um, and so you're going to see kind of just a mix of what God uh, did in our family and ultimately what God did in our church. Uh, this continued to spread throughout our church and our church just had a heart for the vulnerable. Um, it's one 
one point, we had a little over a third of the families in our church were foster and or adoptive families. So it's just a big part of our church culture there. Um, you see the picture in the middle. That's our original family, I, I guess is the way you say that. I don't I still, all these years, I still don't know what to call it. But um, that's my wife, Alicia, and I, and then our three biological daughters, Alyssa, Andrea, and Amelia. Many of you know Amelia. She serves here at Valleydale as well. The other two are married and live outside of town here. Um, that's where we started and really were content with that. We felt like with three girls, our quiver was full. Patches and I there, the dog we're holding, he and I kind of tried to hold the, the male factor of the house down and we thought we were good with, with those other ladies there. But God had a different plan. And so as we started hearing about kids whose parents' rights had been terminated, who needed a forever family, uh, we ended up adopting seven kids out of foster care. So here's what our picture, what our family became, look, uh, began to look like at that point. So uh, we became the Johnson Dozen. So he uh, adopted seven kids. Five of them were teenagers that were close to aging out of the system. And um, so it was some crazy years, crazy years. We had seven in high school at one time, seven in college at one time. And now they've all started getting married and those kind of things. We've had four weddings in three years. Um, so yeah, I'm completely broke. Seven kids in college, four weddings. It's over. It's done. Uh, here's what our family looks like now with adding some spouses and the best part of it all, adding three beautiful grandkids to the mix. So there's 18 of us total when we get together now, but I'm so thankful our three grandkids, two of them were adopted out of foster care as well. Uh, Alicia and I actually got to serve as their foster parents when the youngest was born um, for a season. They went back to their mom and unfortunately she couldn't keep them. They ended up coming back into care and my daughter and son-in-law uh, were able to adopt them. So now they're our grandchildren and we love them dearly. And then God is also blessed with a biological granddaughter as well. And so super thankful for just what God has done in our hearts and our life. Um, and so when I share this message, with you today. I don't want you to think that I'm coming from a point of, of not really knowing what it looks like and really what it means. I want you to know my heart. Um, I want you to know that the challenge that I share today is one that, that I believe strongly in and one that I continue even to wrestle with now at this point, even in my life, as I continue to share this message with others uh, and call others to what I believe is a biblical call of action to be the light to the vulnerable. That's what God has called us to be. All throughout scripture, throughout God's word, we see over and over again these terms that, that we, we recognize together often, the orphan and the widow. And we see God's command to care for the orphan, to care for the widow. We also see other terms such as the sojourner or the stranger or the fatherless. And so we see these terms sprinkled all throughout scripture. And we see very clearly that God has a great heart for these. God has a great heart for these ones that he's mentioned. And he, from the very beginning of calling the children of Israel out, he gave those, them the command to care for those among them, care for those around them very clearly throughout the law. We see clear uh, commands and calls to care for the stranger, to care for the sojourner, to care for the afflicted. And so today we're going to view this whole kind of, this group, these different individuals that have been mentioned by different names. And we're going we're to kind of call them because really they're all representative of those who are the most vulnerable in a society. You see, the orphan and the widow and the sojourner and the stranger, they represent populations that had no voice. They had no one to speak up for them. They had no one to stand up on their behalf. They, of course, were oftentimes a, 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 the result of a broken family. God ordained family and God's design was for the family unit to be whole and, and for mothers and fathers, men and women to come together in marriage and bear children and care for those children and continue and then teach them how to care for their, their children. But because of sin, this plan was broken. 
Because of sin, things got messed up and the family has been messed up. And so now we have these ones. Oftentimes sin brings death. Uh, death, sin brings destruction. Sin brings harm. And so because of these things, oftentimes we now find individuals that are outside of that family unit that now are facing difficulties, struggles, maybe uncertainty, uh, again, not having a voice. And God in his wisdom and in his design and in his plan has chosen for his people to be the voice for the voiceless, for his people to care for and ultimately to be the light to the vulnerable. So in our context today, as we look at our lives and our community today, the vulnerable could look like that child who's in another country, whose parents have died and he has been orphaned and he has no one to care for him and he is in need of a forever family to welcome him home. It may look like that child in foster care here in our community. There are over 400,000 children in foster care throughout the United States. Over 6,000 right here in Alabama that are in foster care. And these are children who are in this situation at no fault to their own, but because those who should be caring for them either made the choice not to because of addictions or because of struggles or because of just, just sin and poor choices, or their parents have not been able to. They don't have the resources and not the, don't have the ability to care for them. So because of that brokenness that sin brings, we have children who are in care, and that would be a vulnerable population. It could look like that woman who finds herself in a crisis or an unexpected pregnancy, who is weighing and trying to make a decision because she doesn't see any hope. She doesn't have support around her or she doesn't feel like she can come to her church or she feels like she has anybody in her life and so she's wrestling and struggling with what to do in this situation. Or it may look like those parents that I mentioned earlier whose kids are in care but they've been removed because the family didn't have support or maybe they're dealing with mental health issues or they're dealing with addictions and struggles and they just don't see any hope today. And so I submit to you this morning that as, as, as followers of Jesus Christ, we must engage and help the vulnerable. We must be the light to those who are walking in darkness. We must be the light to those who are without, to those who need support, to those who need care, to those who were created in the very image of God, just like you and I were. We must be the light and we must point them to the hope of the gospel. Every believer must be a light to the vulnerable. As we see again throughout the early days of scripture, God reminded the children of Israel over and over again about this population. And I think one of the reasons that God was so apt to remind them regularly about this is because the truth is the children of Israel oftentimes found themselves in this same situation. As they, because of sin and because of their turning their back on God, often found themselves in times of bondage, in times of slavery, and in strange lands where they were the stranger. They were the sojourner. And so there's many times that God is reminding them, remember what that felt like. Remember what it was like to be outside looking in. And don't ever forget about those who are in your community, who are in your world, who also are outside looking in. And always strive to make a difference. Always strive to be the light to those who are without. I think there's a sense of that here in Psalm number 126. We read it a few moments ago, and, Pat, uh, and Kirkwood mentioned it a little bit as we were talking. Psalm 126 is one of the Psalms of Ascent. We know the Psalms of Ascent were songs that were sung by the children of Israel as they were making their way to worship, as they were making their way up to Jerusalem, God's word tells us over and over again. 
They were songs that would remind them. That was part of the purpose. We know Deuteronomy chapter six, other places where God instructed his people to teach the generation behind them who would then teach to their generation. Well, one of the ways that the children of Israel would teach the generation coming up would be by singing these songs of ascent as they would go to worship. Much like we, as we gather on Sunday and sing songs of praise and worship here together. It's a great reminder, the songs we sang this morning, great reminder of who we are in Christ, of what we have because of the the good news of the gospel and what God has done for us. They were songs that would remind them, but they also songs that, were, that would challenge them, that would challenge them to, 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 to be God's people, to walk in God's ways. And we see that very idea here in Psalm number 126. We don't know the exact timing of this psalm, and, and, and some theologians have wrestled a little bit with what uh, the exact time and place, but most would think that it's, it's definitely celebrating a time where the children of Israel had found themselves in bondage and have now experienced freedom from that bondage. So they were in a foreign land, uh, bound, bound up as slaves, as servants, but now they are coming to a point where God is bringing them back into Jerusalem, back into the promised land that he had prepared and planned for them. And so as they're coming back into the promised land, they are celebrating and they are rejoicing at what God had done. Even to the point that the heathen around them says there that those who are, who are without, uh, even the heathen said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Even those who did not know the God of the children of Israel were able to look at their lives and see what God had done for them. And they were able to point and say, hey, your God, I don't know all the details. I don't know how you got here. I don't know what's going on. But man, your God's been good to you. Your God's taking care of you. I can imagine as they're praying to their false gods who are doing nothing for them, they're thinking, man, these children of Israel, they're, they do some weird things. But I'll tell you one thing, they've got a, they serve a God that's good to them. Man, that ought to be our testimony. As people look at our lives, as people look at Valleydale Church, may they see, hey, I don't know what's going on down there. I don't know what, what's happening in that place. But man, what this God that they talk about, this God that they serve, he sure has been good to them. And he had been so good to them that the children of Israel then looked at their own lives and said, you know what? You people are right. God has been good to us. God has been good to us. And boy, are we glad. That's the Chris translation. Boy, are we glad about it. That's our story, right? Our God has been good to us. Our God has been gracious to us. Our God is faithful. Our God has blessed us. He has taken us from bondage. He has taken us from a place of slavery and has made us sons of God. He has given us the, through the blood of Jesus Christ, he's given us forgiveness. He's given us freedom and he's called us to something great and glorious that he wants to do in and through us. And boy, are we glad about it. I hope we're glad about it. We should be glad about it. We must be glad about it. The first four verses are celebrating, the first three verses are celebrating this goodness. But then the tone changes in the last few verses. The reality is oftentimes when the children of Israel left captivity, and this specifically happened from the Babylonian captivity, they weren't all released at once to go back to Jerusalem. There were some who experienced freedom while there were some who were still in the strange land. There were some who were still in bondage. And so while the children of Israel are singing this song of celebration and praise, there's also this reminder that we still need more restoration. They certainly wanted God to restore the land to its previous glory, and they wanted God to do mighty works, but they also wanted those who were still behind, those who were still bound, they wanted them to experience freedom as well. 
And it's in that mindset and that idea that they say here, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. The Negev was the southern area of Israel. This is an area, if you've ever visited, you've seen this firsthand. It's very dry. Uh, it's very arid. There's, there's no water there. Uh, there. It's very mountainous. It's very rugged. It's the desert area. But once a year, the rains come. And when the rains come, they fill the riverbeds and the waters rush and the waters roll and the, and the rain just comes and, and it takes care and it provides enough water to sustain them the rest of the year. And there's great joy and great celebration when the waters come. And so the children of Israel said, hey, God, we want you to restore us. We want to experience that overwhelming, that overflowing joy, that provision that you have provided for us. But not only do we want it for us, we want it for others as well. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. We as the people of God are walking in freedom. We're walking in what God has done for us. He's been so good to us. But brothers and sisters, there are people outside these walls. There are people in broken homes. There are people in difficult situations. There are children without a parents, without a family. Who God wants to experience this same freedom. And may we develop a heart and a burden for those who are without and want them to experience this freedom as well. We have the same sentiment that's shared by Paul in, in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you can mark this down, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 21. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad to be a new creation in God? My old has passed away. He is not, he's not just made me a better version of my old self. He has made me something new. I am new in Christ because of the blood of Jesus. Verse 18, all this, this work of God doing this new creation, this God being good to me, all this is from God. Not because I deserve it, not because I've done anything special. It's all from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, catch this, the ministry of reconciliation. God has reconciled us to himself. He's given us the gift of salvation, but then he has called us to the ministry of reconciliation. He says, I have saved you and I have reconciled you so that you might go and be, bring, be ministry, do the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was, re, re, uh, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So we have this ministry of reconciliation, this call to go, but what do we go and share? We share the message of reconciliation. And the message of reconciliation is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you too can be made new. You too can experience freedom and joy and peace and all the things that comes from being in a right relationship with God. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are Christ ambassadors. We go and we speak on his behalf and share on his behalf. God making his appeal through us. He speaks and uses us, speaks through us. We, this is the message that we speak. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. As Christ followers, we have been reconciled to God and we are glad. We sure are glad about it. But now 
we have the opportunity to take this good news, to take what God has done in our hearts and lives and share it with the broken, to share it with the vulnerable, to share it with the hurting, understanding God's heart for the vulnerable, understanding God's heart for the orphan, for the widow, for the stranger, for the sojourner. We are now able to see that we must give priority to this ministry. We must, every believer must be a light to the vulnerable. So how do we do that? Looking back in Psalm number 126 here, we see this illustration and the principles regarding the farmer and the harvest. Uh, last weekend, I was traveling. I was over and speaking at First Baptist Church of Crowley, Louisiana. I don't know how many of you know about anything about Crowley, but Crowley's like the rice capital of the world. They had a big rice festival the week before I was there. And I actually got to visit a rice farm where they kind of rotate their fields between rice and crawfish. Man, I got some good eating while I was there. It was awesome. But they rotate these fields back and forth. And so they were telling me a little bit about the processes and how that works and, and how one prepares the ground the next year for the other. And they kind of rotate the fields back and forth for that. Well, the farmer, we know from farming that, that, that what you do is you, you have to cultivate the ground. You've got to get the ground ready to, for, the, for the planting. And then once the ground is cultivated, that doesn't just, harvest doesn't just come from that. There has to be the planting of the seed and the, the seed has to be planted well. And then eventually when the rains come and all the things happen, then you get to reap and enjoy the harvest. Well, we see that same pattern that's laid out and designed for us here in, in Psalm 126. So how do, we, how do we be a light to the vulnerable? First of all, we are a light to the vulnerable by cultivating a heart of compassion. By cultivating a heart of compassion, we must cultivate a heart of compassion. Verse number five, those who sow in tears shall reap with joy. He who goes out weeping, there is a burden, there is a, there is a struggling, there is a wrestling within where, where now I'm seeing the needs of others and the needs of others are affecting me. It has been said that, that compassion is your hurt in my heart. Your hurt in my heart. If we're going to be a light to the vulnerable, if we're going to be a light to vulnerable populations, then we must get to the point where their hurt affects our heart. Where we understand and see what God has done for us and we long to see them experience the same joy, experience the same freedom, experience the same peace that we get to enjoy. We must develop and cultivate a heart of compassion. We must ask ourselves today, when we hear about the vulnerable, when we see the broken, when we see those around us, what is our response? When we hear about the woman who finds herself in a crisis pregnancy, do we point fingers and blame and say, well, if you'd have made better choices, well, if you'd have gone a different route. When we hear about the broken family whose kids are being have been removed and are in foster care, do we cast blame to them? Do we, do we start giving them ABC what they should have done differently? The reality of the question is, when we see the hurting and the broken, do we push them away? Or do we remember, but for the grace of God, we could be in that same situation. Some of us, even in this room, may have been in those situations before. But oh, how quickly we forget about the goodness of God. Oh, how quickly we forget about the grace of God. But when we are reminded that God has been good to us and we are glad because of his goodness, then we must remember that there are others who have not experienced that yet. And instead of blaming, instead of pushing away, instead of giving, throwing things at them, instead, may we embrace and may we instead run to them and be willing to come alongside them and care for them. Do we push away or do we run to the broken and the hurting? You see, compassion compels us to move closer. Compassion compels us to step in and make a difference. 
This is really the idea behind James 127. Many people often relate James 127 to uh, orphan care ministry, foster care ministry. James 127 really is a verse that's kind of oftentimes kind of plucked out of context, but understanding the whole context of the chapter and of the book is so very important. James is written, James is writing to believers in Jesus Christ who have been scattered because of persecution. They've been moved out into different places. They're, they're enduring these different things. And James' challenge to them is, you can say all day long that you have faith, but if your life doesn't reflect that faith, that that faith is not shown in the way that you live, then all you're doing is giving lip service. Because if you truly have met the King of Kings, if you've truly given your heart and life to Christ, if you've experienced the gospel, then your life's gonna look different. There's gonna be something different about you. And you get down to verse 19 and he begins to talk about the power of the word of God at work in your life. And, and a true believer will, will look into God's word. And when God's word reveals what is not right, that true believer will make those adjustments. He won't continue in his way, but he'll allow the word of God to change him from the inside out. And it's in that context and in that understanding that James says, hey, I'm just gonna lay something out for you. That's what I love about James. I love good practical teaching and preaching. James says, I'm just gonna lay it out for you. There, there are some things that maybe you can say, I don't know that's really what God's saying there, or maybe I'm not sure how to respond in this situation. But James says, hey, you wanna know what it looks like to have a faith that's real? He says in verse number 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father. Some versions even say a religion that is pure and undefiled, which God views as acceptable that God accepts. You wanna have a faith that's real? You wanna have a faith that, that God looks down and says, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I expect to see in my followers. James says, if you want a religion that is pure and undefiled before God, this is it. He said, it is this. And there's a little colon there that says, you better listen up because I'm about to tell you what the secret is. And the next few words, he says, the pure and undefiled religion before God our Father is this, to visit the orphan and widow in their affliction and to keep ourselves unstained from the world. To visit the orphan and the widow in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, again, we understand that orphan and widow there, it's reflective. It's a representative term of the vulnerable among us. In James's context, these were people who had been separated from their family, who again had no voice, no one to stand up for them. So they were literally the most vulnerable in their society. And so it's a reminder to us that, that, that this, there's this some kind of connection between the people of God and the most vulnerable around them. And he says there, he uses this word, he says to visit the orphan and the widow. Now in our vernacular, in our terms today, we think of visit as meaning kind of, you just, you know, you kind of stop by, pat them on the back and go about your way, right? You may think about them every now and then, you may swing by another time, drop something off, but there's just kind of this arm's distance, I'm gonna, you do okay and then I go about my business. That's not what the word visit means here in the original. It's the Greek word episkeptomy. Episkeptomy is used 11 different times in the New Testament. Sometimes it's even spoken of God visiting us. Sometimes it's spoken of this command again to, to visit the vulnerable, to visit the broken. Ultimately, it's the idea, it literally means to look closely into, to look into closely. So it gives the connotation of coming into the picture, joining them, walking alongside them, joining them in their affliction. Now, again, we don't like to look too closely because some of that may rub off on us, right? Or we don't want to, man, I don't want my kids looking too closely because that might affect them some way. Or we don't want to see the hard things because then we're faced with decisions to make based on what we've seen. But James says in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that a religion, a faith that's real and genuine 
We're going to run to that. We're going to lean in and we're going to look closely and we're going to come alongside the most vulnerable in our community, in our society. We're going to look on them. We're going to join them in their affliction. And then it says, when we visit the orphan and the widow, we join the orphan and widow in their struggle, in their difficulty, in their affliction. Then it says to keep ourselves unstained from the world. Now, the idea, we often separate those two, right? I kind of grew up in a context where I heard a lot of preaching about keeping myself unstained from the world, but not a lot of preaching about visiting the vulnerable. Because we view these things in isolation, but the reality is, and was really just put in there to, to give us understanding. The real context is that as we visit the vulnerable, it's a continuation. As we are visiting the vulnerable, as we are visiting the orphan and widow in their affliction, we are keeping ourselves unstained from the world. What is it that helps us shine brightly in this world? What makes us different from the world around us? It's our engagement with the vulnerable. It's our willingness to step into hard places, difficult situations, and preach and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what makes us different as believers. As we engage in ministry, in foster care ministry, adoption ministry, caring for women in crisis pregnancy, the world around us doesn't get it. They look at us as strange, but they also look at us and say, man, there's something different about those folks. God's doing something in that place. That church, man, God's been good to them and they're, they're now sharing with others what God has done with them. They're sharing their blessings with others. And that's what gives us the platform to be a witness to the world around us. You know, we, we as, the, as the people of God, we, of course, have experienced for years as we have fought to, to end abortion, we must continue to fight to end abortion completely and wholly everywhere. But as we have done so, the world has often pointed their finger and said, all you Christians care about is just getting kids born. You're just really pro-birth. Well, folks, now's the time for us to step up and show that we have a faith that's real. And we are pro-birth. We are concerned about getting babies born, but we're also concerned about supporting the women who give birth to those kids. We're also concerned about caring for those children that are born and wrapping around them and bringing them the hope of the gospel. And it's in our faithfulness to visit the orphan and the widow, to come into the lives of the, of the oppressed, to join them in their affliction. That's what is our witness to the world around us. So why is this such a great witness? Because that's exactly our story. <laughs> you see, Ephesians 2 tells me that I was completely hopeless. I was dead in my trespasses. There was nothing I could do to get to God, nothing I could do to fix my situation. But in my affliction, in my brokenness, in my being outside of the family of God, God visited me in my affliction. He put on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and he joined me at the point of my need and he made it possible for me to be welcomed into his family. I now am a son of God because God chose to visit me in my affliction, in my distress, in my oppression. God visited me and now has made it possible for me to be a part of his family. So how can I receive that and recognize that and not let that affect me and not cause me to have a strong desire for others to experience the same? This is what James is saying. This is a religion that is real. We see that genuine faith will help the orphan and the vulnerable. And the reality is we are never more like our heavenly father than when we are helping those who have nothing to give in return. You want to be like God? Then give yourself to the vulnerable. Help those who have nothing to give in return. 
We must choose to move forward. We must choose to move closely. Compassion causes us to lean into the struggles of women in crisis pregnancy, to provide for her felt needs and to help her see that both she and her child are created in the image of God. Compassion causes us to see that the orphan who needs a family to love him, to see him and point him to the love and care of his heavenly father. Compassion causes us to mentor and advocate for the child or the teen in foster care who is struggling with identity and attachment. Compassion causes us to come alongside the parents who are working to get their kids back and who need support and care of a local church community. Compassion causes us to support social workers and others who are overworked and under-resourced and who must make difficult decisions every single day. And compassion causes us to recognize the struggle of foster and adoptive families in our church community Parents that are, that are parenting kids from hard places. These parents are on the front lines and they are pouring into their kids and they're hurting oftentimes and they need to know that they are loved and that their church family is together with them. So the bottom line is this, may we as a people of God, may we allow God to break our hearts for that which breaks his. May we cultivate a heart that sees the broken and the vulnerable and runs to the broken and not away. Every believer must be a light to the vulnerable by cultivating a heart of compassion. Number two, by planting the truth of God's word. He says there, he who goes forth weeping, bearing the seed for sowing. We oftentimes, I hear people ask me, well, I'd love to get involved. I'd love to get engaged, but I really don't know what to do. And I don't know what to bring. I don't know what to, to give. And I don't know what these families need. Or I don't know what these women need. Let me submit to you. These folks need the exact same thing that you and I need. They need the gospel. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the seed that we must plant. We absolutely are called to meet felt needs. We're called to open up our hearts. We're called to open up our homes. We're called to provide housing and clothing and food and all of those things. But brothers and sisters, if that's all we provide, then we're no different from the world around us. What makes us different is we understand and we realize that you can band-aid all the problems of society, but band-aiding those problems will never fix the root issue. The root issue and the goal of this ministry of reconciliation, the goal of this ministry to the vulnerable is gospel transformation because it's the gospel that changes hope. It's the gospel that changes life. It's the gospel that, that brings dead to life. And yes, we meet physical needs. Yes, we take care of, their, of, their, of the things that they need, but we always do so with a mindset, with an attitude that ultimately what they need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And folks, the government's not gonna give them the gospel. Community partners are great, they're helpful, but community partners are not gonna give them the gospel. God has called the church, his church, his people. God has made us ministers of reconciliation. We're the ones that he's given the gospel and said, go and preach it, go and teach it. And folks, if we don't step up and do it, the world's gonna fill the vacuum. And these kids are gonna be put in homes that are contrary to God's word. And they're gonna be put in situations where they're being taught that they just pull themselves up, they'll be okay. Folks, we have the answer. The answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we cannot ignore our responsibility to preach and proclaim the gospel to the vulnerable. We must step in with gospel hope. We must move beyond the temporal needs and move to the eternal needs. That is the issue that is at stake here. And so engaging in ministry to the vulnerable through adoption and foster care and support, it gives us opportunities to manifest, to live out and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. The goal of orphan ministry, the goal of caring for the vulnerable is gospel transformation. Every believer must be a light to the vulnerable by cultivating a heart of compassion, by planting the truth of God's word, and then by trusting God for the harvest. 
by trusting God for the harvest. Oftentimes we take this burden on ourselves and we think, well, I've got to do this and I've just got to buck it up and I've just got to do the best I can and it's all dependent on me. Or sometimes we take the idea, the mindset, well, I just don't know that I can handle that burden, so I'm just not even going to do anything and I'm just going to kind of get out of the picture and just, I just don't know what to do, so I'm not going to do anything. The reality is by caring for his children, we're not, we, we don't have the power to change their situation. We don't have the power to, to change their, 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 their future, to change their eternity. We don't have the power to do that. What we're called to do is be the vehicles through which God works because it's God who brings the harvest. And we must get to a point where we trust the God of the harvest. We trust that God will do what God said he will do. We trust that God will use his people as we walk in obedience. He will use us to bring about his, his good news, to help these folks understand, to help these children understand that they are loved, to see these children come to Christ. But it's God who does the work. It's God who brings the harvest. So you may be here and you're like, oh, I just don't have the capacity within me. I don't know that I could ever be involved in foster care. I don't know that I could ever go to, to, to hard places or I could bring a kid home from another part of the world or, or I could engage with a, with a, with a woman who, who's, who's made poor decisions and put herself in a bad situation. I just don't know that I, that I could do that. Let me tell you, through the power of Jesus Christ, absolutely you can. Because God hasn't called you to do it. He's called to do it. He wants to do it through you. I, I love, I'm not a betting man. But if I were, <laughs> I'm kind of a low risk kind of guy. So I think I would only bet on sure things. Well, I want to bet on a sure thing. Well, here's a sure thing. God keeps his word, right? Do we believe that? Do we believe that God is faithful? Well, how many times has God in his word said that he will be the father to the fatherless? Has he said that he hears the cries of the oppressed? That he, that he understands the heart of the vulnerable? How many times has he said that over and over and over again? And we shout that and we celebrate that. But are we willing to trust that? Here's the good news. God has promised to be that. God has promised to do that. But the way by which he keeps his word is you and me. He keeps his word by using us. And so our responsibility is to present ourselves as willing sacrifice. Our responsibility is to say, God, you show me what you want me to do. You call me to whatever you want to call me to. I will surrender to you and I will trust you. When, we, when Alicia and I began this whole foster care journey, we had no idea where God was leading us. We had no idea what it was look like. And if you would have told me today all the things that have happened in our home and our life and even with our kids and all the different pieces, I'd have been like, this is crazy. I'm not even going anywhere near this. But you know what it was? It was today saying, God, I don't know what it looks like, but if you'll use me, I'll surrender to you today. And then getting up the next day and saying, God, I don't know what today's gonna look like, but if you'll use me, I'll surrender. I'll let you use me however you want. People oftentimes, they, they look at that picture and I'm like, that picture is very deceiving, all right? That picture looks kind of cool, but there's a lot of story behind that picture. There's a lot of heartache behind that picture. There's a lot of tears behind that picture. And if we didn't know that God had called us to do it, there's no way we could ever do it. I tell people today, wrestle with what God wants you to do. When you know what he wants you to do, then go forward in victory. Go forward in faith and believe and trust him. God's the one that brings the increase. God's the one that does the work. He is looking for us to be surrendered to him. Our job is to create the atmosphere and to provide the vehicle through which God can do his transforming work. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. As we consider our role in being a light to the vulnerable, may we cultivate a heart of compassion. May we plant the truth of God's word and may we trust God for the harvest. So you're asking today, what do I do? What's my role? What do you want from me today? I love how our church 
is so passionate about giving us clear next steps and calling us to action. We don't want to just come to church and hear a message and leave the same way we were when we came. We want to say, what, what are we going to do with it this week? What are we going to do with this today? So I want to give you three things real quick that you can do today. Number one, I want you to pray. Pray for the orphan. Pray for the vulnerable. Pray for those who are without. Pray for those who need a family. Pray for those who are in difficult situations making difficult choices. To help you with that, our church is providing for you today a prayer guide. And on your way out today, if you go to the right, there's a table set up that has these prayer guides on there. And you can pick this up. And there's, there's seven days worth of prayer on here that you can pray. This will guide you in helping you know how to pray for the orphan and how to pray for those in vulnerable situations. That's the most important thing that we can ever do. And every one of us can do this. We must pray. Pray for the orphan. Pray for the vulnerable. The second thing I'm going to ask you to do is wrestle with what God is calling you to do. Wrestle with what God is calling you to do. Not your neighbor not the person down the street, not your life group. What is God calling you and your family to do? What role does he want you to play? It may be that of support. When Alicia and I first started this ministry, there was a family in our church that we just kind of said, hey, God brought you here. We're gonna support you in what he's called you to do. That's a great place to start. If you visit the Lifeline booth on the left-hand side, we've got a, a new program called Lifeline Connects where you can sign up to get emails whenever there are vulnerable people in your community who need maybe a bed or need uh, a mattress or need clothes or need food. And you can meet those tangible needs right there. You sign up and it, the emails will come right to you and you'll connect you with a worker to be able to help meet those needs. That's a great way to support. It's a great way to help. We'll share the needs of foster adoptive families in our church so you can come alongside and support them. But some of you, God's calling you to foster. God's calling you to open up your home. Some of you, God's calling you to adopt and welcome a child into your forever family. And my challenge is wrestle with what God was calling you to do. And when you clearly know, the third thing is this, take your next step as soon as possible. Take your next step as soon as possible. Don't delay. Don't wait. Lives are at stake. Eternity is at stake. Don't delay. Take your next step as soon as possible. Again, we've tried to make this easy for you. If you go this morning onto the Valleydale app, Right there on the app, there's a button. It says Adoption Foster Care Ministry. You can also find that same button on our website. If you go to valleydale.org, there's a big old picture that says Adoption Foster Care Ministry right there on the front page. If you'll click on that, there's five different choices that it gives you. Number one is, is please let us know if you are a foster or adoptive family. Whether you've adopted in the last year, whether it was 10 years ago, if you are an adoptive family, you've adopted children into your home, please let us know that. If you're a foster family and you're engaged in foster care ministry, please let us know because we want to pray for you. We want to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you and we want to support you. But we can't do that if we don't know that. Uh, I'm meeting regularly. I'm hearing people that are saying, man, have you met this family? They're an adoptive family. And this family is an adoptive family. Please let us know that by signing, clicking that in the app. One of the hardest things for us as foster adoptive parents to do is to accept the help of others. And we've got to accept the help of our body, of our, of our church family here because we need to let God use people in, in our lives and in the ministry of the kids that we're serving. So let us know that. The second thing is you can click on there and says, I want more information on how to be a foster adoptive parent. I want more information on foster care and adoption. Um, I'm thankful again, just representing Lifeline today. We've got foster care. We've got a foster care class that's going on right now. That's about to wrap up that meets once a week here at Valleydale. We've got other classes that are about to start during the month of November. It's national adoption month. You can get a special scholarship. If you start an application process this month to, to adopt. So if you've got any questions about foster care adoption, mark it in that, in the app there on that sign up, but then also visit us at the table. The third option is you're saying, hey, I would like to find out more information about supporting foster adoptive families. I want to be a part of that support system around there. I'll help foster adoptive families in any way I can. Let us know that so we can let you know of the needs. 
The fourth thing is I am willing to help teens in foster care. Did you know that for a little over a year now, Valleydale has been uh, participating in a program called Heritage Builders, where we each month, there's a team that works each month at welcoming teens from foster care. So teens that are in group home situations that are in our community, they come here every month and they're being taught life skills from a biblical perspective. They also are being paired with mentors and support in their life. And so if you're saying, hey, I would be willing to serve as a mentor for a teen in foster care, then we need men who will step up and, and be, be, be mentors in these guys' lives. We need women who will step up and teach them what it looks like to be a godly woman. If you're willing to help in that ministry, let us know. And then the last part is if you are willing to help a woman in crisis pregnancy, let us know. We've also developed a program where we can take and train women in our church to enter into one-on-one discipleship relationships with women in crisis pregnancy. And we would love to be able to enlist people in our church to engage in that type of ministry. So if any of those things, God is speaking to your heart about any of those things, or maybe you just want to get more information, fill out that form in the app, fill out that form online, and we would love to connect with you. We'll, of course, be around to answer questions after the service as well. Here's the big picture, guys. Find your role. Find your place. Figure out what God is calling you to do and then say yes. This is a big deal. This matters. This has an eternal ramifications. I want to close by just sharing a quick story with you that really kind of brings this all together for me anyway. A little over 10 years ago, <clears throat> Alicia and I were speaking at an event. We were sharing a little bit about our family and about our story. And immediately after we were finished speaking, I had a social worker that come, came running to me and Alicia and she began to tell us the story about this brother and sister who had grown up in foster care, been there their whole lives, had been in a group home for over six years. And unfortunately, it was a group home that actually sat on the campus of a mega church. But they continued to sit there year after year after year. People drove by every Sunday. But these kids had never been able to find a family. People had started the process and then dropped one, wanted the brother, not the sister, wanted the sister, not the brother. It just been just a horrible life. Well, this young man was just about just, just a short period of time away from aging out of the foster care system, turning 18, and they literally had no place for him to go. He still had a couple years of high school, was kind of behind, and they were unsure what was going to happen. They said, will you please pray that God will provide a family for this brother and sister? So reluctantly, Alicia and I said, sure, we'll, we'll pray that God will provide a family. We looked at each other. We're like, we're praying that God will provide a family, that God will provide a different family. Um, but the more we prayed, more clearly, God said, I've provided them a family and it's yours. Yay. <laughs> we already had six kids at the time. We were continuing to foster. So it was like, we weren't like looking for another adoption. We went home and we're talking to even some of our young people, some of our teens in the home. And, and uh, we were like, hey, we've been presented with this opportunity. We're going to pray for this family. And one of our sons just immediately said, well, we've got space. Why wouldn't we just do it? Why wouldn't we adopt them? And I'm like, I can give you a lot of reasons why we wouldn't adopt a 16 and 17 year old that has spent their whole life in trauma. <laughs> but God tended our heart and God gave us clarity and knew that we were supposed to be their family. So 30 days before Ethan would have aged out of the foster care system, we were able to finalize his adoption. Uh, he and his sister, Emma. And we celebrate that and we're grateful for it. And, and, uh, and man, God just has done some, some really neat things. Ethan was, is, is a very lovable guy, um, very much so wears his emotions on his sleeve. And because of so much rejection from his whole life, was kind of the one that would kind of do anything to get you to like him, anything to kind of get you to, to be his friend. And, and he kind of was really good at putting on this facade. And the more we got to know Ethan, how it became very clear that ultimately Ethan needed Christ. He didn't know Christ. His identity was not secure. He, he struggled with identity and he, he did not have a right relationship with Christ. So we prayed for him and we taught him and we struggled with him on and on and on about this. 
Well, after Ethan graduated high school, he actually got into college and even picked the college that Alicia and I went to because he thought that would kind of get him brownie points kind of thing. But, but this desire for everybody to like him led to some struggles in his life and some addictions. They eventually even got him into trouble. And eventually we had to, to take Ethan to a place where he could get some specialized help. Um, he had been in our, in our home for almost five years at this point. And we just knew that this is what was the hardest day of our life taking him there, but we knew that this is what he needed. And we stayed in communication. And so one day uh, after being in this program for a few months, he texted me and he said, dad, I need to tell you something, but I want to tell you in person. And we had not seen him through this whole period of time. I said, well, let me, let me figure out if we can come, if they'll allow us to see you and let's, let's figure out. So yeah, so we'll, we'll come see you. So we made about the three hour drive up to visit Ethan. We spent a couple hours with him and then finally we're sitting at a Starbucks table before taking him back. And we're sitting at that table. And I said, all right, son, I've given you time. You've not, what, what, did, what do you want to tell us? What's, what, is the, what do you need to tell us? This big old grin comes across Ethan's face. Here's a picture of, of that, that conversation. This big old grin comes across Ethan's face. And he says, dad, I wanted to tell you in person that I got it. I want you to know that my identity is in Christ, that I know that my sins are forgiven, that he has accepted me and I have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Yes, amen, we celebrate, we rejoice. That's the goal, right? We've been talking about that. That's, that's what we wanted for all of our kids. It's what we want for everyone. And certainly what we wanted for Ethan, we were so excited to hear that God had spoken to his heart, drawn him to himself, and Ethan had professed faith in Jesus Christ. We took Ethan, dropped him back off, and we had planned to come and visit him. Actually, Labor Day weekend was not far away from there, and we were gonna take the whole weekend. He was gonna get to go visit, and we we're gonna spend the whole weekend together. Um, this was Labor Day of 2017, and living in Florida, we have these occasional things that pop through during that season of year called hurricanes, right? So Hurricane Irma came through that year, and so there was no traveling on Labor Day weekend. We uh, were actually hunkered down, as we say there in Florida, and we were kind of there uh, in the situation. We couldn't, couldn't go visit. We talked on the phone. Ethan was safe through the hurricane. Everything was good. Um, he was working for a sanitation company that was doing some cleanup work uh, after the hurricane. And about two weeks later, we were dropping off one of our other children back at college. It was September 4th of 2017. And we got a phone call that the driver of the truck Ethan was in had veered off the road and hit a tree and Ethan's life was taken immediately. And when I got that call, I thought back to the times I had laughed with Ethan, times I had cried with Ethan. But the time that God immediately brought to my mind was the very last face-to-face -face conversation that I ever had with my son. Dad, I got it. My identity is secure. I know where I'm heading. And at that point, all the struggles were worth it because I know I'll see my son again. I don't tell you that story just to pull at your emotions, but I tell you that story so that we can recognize that there are hundreds of Ethans right here in our community. There are thousands of Ethans around our country, millions of Ethans around the world, and they need to hear that God loves them and that God has a plan for their life, and they need to experience the freedom the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ in church, if we don't get the gospel to them, they're going to spend an eternity apart from God. Every believer, every one of us must be a light to the vulnerable. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we love you and thank you for 
just your good news today, Lord. We thank you for the gospel that work in our own lives. God, we thank you for what you have done and are continuing to do in our hearts. God, I pray this morning that you will speak to the hearts of your people. God, I pray that we will not just hear a message and read verses and, or even shed tears, God, but it not truly affect our hearts. God, may you develop a heart of compassion within us that compels us to movement. May we be willing to step into the hard stuff, the hard places. May we be willing to get ourselves dirty for the sake of the gospel. God, if there's anyone here today, Lord, that has not experienced that freedom, has not experienced the gospel for themselves, God, I pray that today you would draw them to yourself and you would help them see that you have a purpose and plan for their life as well, and that you will save them by your grace. God, do what only you can do today, and we will give you praise.